You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Good morning and welcome. I love having the mission teams here and the guests and it just, there's a lot of, uh, of faces of who will become new friends. So I hope uh, you have an opportunity to connect and meet somebody you don't know today, maybe meet one of those folks from the mission team or maybe just somebody who's here as a guest. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 13. We're looking at verses 1 through 7 as we continue through this section of Scripture. And uh, if you're using a phone app, if it happens to be the YouVersion Bible app, we have an event on there. So if you go to the more, the dots, whatever, find that, find the event. Our church should come up or find Redeeming Life Church. I have included a lot of Scriptures there, and some of these I'm just sort of referencing in passing, but if you want to go back and look through them, You can find them there. I have a couple of quotes I've put in there. There's a lot of material there. Uh, Otherwise, if you're in the paper Bible, or if you're using one of those church Bibles, somewhere in a seat back near you or under the the chair, it's going to be on page 1007, we're going to turn our attention now to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. I'd like to read that for us. This is God's Word. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks... Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those who you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Lord, as we look to understand this word that you have provided to us through the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God, communicate to us today. Lord, it's my prayer, Lord, that we would be a church that would be surrendered to your word, that we would would see it as the ultimate guide and authority for our lives, and that we would find it as a joy. So help us to hear uh, your word speak to us, Lord, and help us to surrender our lives to this for your glory and for our good. And Lord, help me preach a tough sermon today. In fact, preach it through me however you would have it to be. And Lord, help us to hear it however you would have us to hear it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I, was, I was a little nervous. We've been going through Romans, and I, I got really nervous. The guys, you know, uh, Robbie and, and uh, Pastor Josiah will tell you, I got really nervous when we got to Romans 9. I mean, oh, we're getting to, like, election, and uh, this is some tough stuff that, that can be really tough and split, split churches. I was expecting a kerfuffle, and uh, we didn't have one which was amazing. I was surprised. And then, then we kept going through Romans, and so then what comes next is Romans 11. So I was expecting another dust-up, because here we have the relationship between Israel and the church, and how does all that work? And I was just waiting for you know, some kind of something. 
And to my surprise, nothing really happened. We went through God's word. Everybody was just really gracious. And we, we walked through that, and, and it was great. And now, here we've come to Romans 13. And the point of the word that we're going to see as we look through this is that God has a way in which we are to relate to governmental authority. And in that, we are to submit. And so today, I get the wonderful blessing of preaching a sermon that not one person in this room will like. So there's that. That's the joy of sometimes being a preacher. Uh, I don't even like it. Like, admittedly, I don't like this. So, So here we go. Here we go. Here's the temptation. Here's the problem. We read a text like the one we just read, the one we just heard. You, you probably were going to these same places. We, we tend to ignore the normative, the everyday instruction from this text, and we immediately run to the fringes, and we run to the exceptions, and we say, well, but what are the exceptions to this rule? When do we not do what God says? When do we get to get away from this and out from underneath it? Like, surely we don't submit to the government when they do that thing, and surely we don't submit to our government when they do that other thing over there, right? Is this not where we go? Is this not where maybe your, your heart and your mind was stirring towards as we were reading these words from God? Somewhere deep in our sinful soul is this idea that the government can't tell us what to do. And many of us are tempted to think that the government is just inherently evil and governments are against God. Especially our government, of course, and the ones in the other countries. And look, government is just against God. Now, if I were to take a, a pause, if we were to do a survey, and I was going to examine federal government, state government, local government in our nation, apart from this scripture, if I was just going to look at it there, I could probably pretty easily come to those conclusions. Like, that wouldn't be too tough, I don't think. I could find plenty of examples to make my argument for this. However... I'm a Christian. I want to be a faithful Christian. And a Christian stands on the word of God. A Christian examines all of life and all of our reality through the lens of the word of God as we believe it is true. And so when I do that, when I, when I look to government through the lens of Romans 13, 1 through 7, I see something a little different. Now I'm going to confess to you, my sinful side, the, the there's parts in me that do not like this. They reject this thinking. Even my wife and I, in talking about this, she's like, are you, how are you going to preach? You're going to say this? You're going to say that? I'm like, I... It's what I must do because I am a Christian. And I seek to stand on the word of God without compromise. And I believe you guys do too. So we all get to sit under this difficult sermon. The text says... Here's the point. Christians should submit to governing authorities because the governing authorities are empowered by God for God's purpose. That's what we heard. I know right now most of us, we don't want to hear it that way. We want, we want something. We want, wait, can we just find something else? Let's go somewhere else. We don't want that, right? But if we love the Lord, and I love the Lord, then we should want what God wants in our lives. And I want what God wants in my life. So before we run off searching for all the exceptions to the normative rule that God has given us, before we look at the fringes and when we don't have to submit to this text, when we find, before we do that, let's actually walk through what this text says. Let's actually just set that aside for a moment and see what we're actually supposed to do. 
from Romans 13, 1 through 7. And then we can go ahead, after we've done that, after we understand what's supposed to be happening, then we can look for those rare exceptions when sometimes we don't submit to government. And I hope what will happen is we're going to see how this text should be able to inform our actions and shape our life, which is in fact a worship to God as a living sacrifice. That's what we're shooting for. So I think it's going to be most helpful. Sometimes we do this, sometimes we don't. Sometimes, I think it would be most helpful if we just sort of crawl our way through this sort of verse at a time, verse by verse, and just really make sure we've got a handle on it. So let's just go ahead and start right here with verse 1. Verse 1 says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Right out of the gates. Paul's saying, let everyone, he's actually talking to Christians, that's who he's compelling, but I think there's a principle here. Even those who are rejecting God and are already in disobedience to God, I think everyone, like all people, are supposed to submit to God's instruction. Everyone, not just Christians, but especially Christians. So that means none of us are, can escape from this, none of us are out from under this. We don't have a, a, an escape clause here. God installs the governments he installs, and any government that's ever been installed is put there by God. Every person, every power in authority, God has raised them up, and they have a responsibility given to them from God, whether they acknowledge that or not. That's the point. That's, that's what Paul is saying. And then he goes on. Look at verse 2. It says, So then, the one who resists the authority... None of us do that, do we? The one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Ugh. By not submitting to government authorities, one is actually rejecting God's command. And you're going to face, if we do this, we're going to face the consequences of God. Maybe even ironically, at the hand of the government we're rejecting. That might be how he brings those consequences into our lives. In Paul's day, the authorities that he was dealing with, think about this for a minute, they were Caesar and Caesar's servants, the, the Romans, the, uh, the local authorities. This is an oppressive government. And then they also had the local governments of the Jewish leaders and their various people. In our day... We have the, the national and the state and the local government entities, and then all the, you know, the lawmakers and the police who enforce the laws and the judges and even like the health inspectors and the building inspectors and all these various people that are tasked with the job of carrying out uh, the, the role of government in our lives. One serious difference today compared to what Paul dealt with is the government that we live under compared to the government that he lived under. We actually get some involvement in our government. We have the ability to vote. We have the ability to engage in some way. We have various recourses and various protections and, and various things that we can do under our democratic republic that Paul did not ever experience in his life under the Roman dictatorship. And yet, he still wrote this, so this should speak very loudly to us. That in light of what Paul was dealing with, he still wrote this inspired text, inspired by God, that we are supposed to submit to the authorities that are appointed over us. Let's go ahead and look at verse 3. For 
Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. Now, Paul starts with four. We've talked about this before. If he could have said because, he's basically saying everything that you're being commanded, everything that, that, that I've just said is now going to be for this reason. And so in this case, a properly functioning government and a properly functioning government authority is for our good. But we're also going to see that a bad government is somehow for our good too. Like, what? What? The, what? Like, uh, how can that be good? Well, let's go ahead and look at verse 4. For it is God's servant for your good, good or bad. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger, that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. It is good. The reason good or bad governments are good for us is because they are God's servant, because they are under God's authority, under God's rule, whether they realize it or not, whether they acknowledge that or not, they work for God, for God's purposes, which in turn, because they're for God's purposes, are for our good, even if we don't like it. The verse tells us that God has given governments the power of the sword. What that means is the power exercise violence if necessary to carry out their task. Man, what? That's, that's what God has given them. They have this sword of justice and this sword of wrath to carry out their duty. They've been given the power by God. By God. So the text is saying we should probably be careful because we don't want that wrath to come upon us. But if it does, God is okay with that, it says. This is God's plan. Because just on a side note, right here, we have a statement that says God is not for anarchy. He is for government that he installs. Now, if you're feeling uncomfortable at this point, or some of you feeling uncomfortable, like, just like, I don't know about any, I'm not down with this. You're not alone. We're not alone in this. Paul must have known, he must have suspected that his original readers, who lived under an oppressive, domineering government, would have felt that like that bristling, that discomfort when they read this in his letter, they would not have been down with this very well. He must have known that because he returns to the why again. He knows we're like little children. Why? 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 He knows it. Look at verse 5. He's going to come right back to that. Therefore, just explained all this because of this, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. You have to submit. Therefore, this is, this is why that you should submit to the authorities. One, because you don't want to be at the wrong end of the sword. You don't want to be on the wrong end of that justice, for sure. But more significantly, he says, because of your conscience. He's talking about doing what's right and about what's doing what's wrong. He's saying, look, if you're going to really serve the Lord and submit to the Lord, your conscience needs to be clear. And it's for that reason that you need to obey God and trust God, and therefore submit to whatever government he has put over you. That's the normative principle that he is showing us. It's the right thing to do, to submit to your government, regardless of what kind of government it is, regardless of if it's following the Lord or not. 
And this basic normative everyday principle, the regular outworkings of our life with government, we are to submit to it. See? I told you at the beginning, I didn't lie. I know we're all struggling with this because I'm struggling with this. We don't like this. I suspect some of the Ukrainians might be struggling with some of this. I suspect some of us who've had difficulty with the government in the past might be struggling with this. If you're having difficulty with the government looking forward, you might have difficulty with this. I'm sure Paul's audience did not like it either. Paul, who found himself under the thumb of his government constantly in chains, probably didn't love this. But this is what giving yourself to God as a living sacrifice from verses 12-1 actually looks like. It's not called a living sacrifice because it's easy. It's a sacrifice. This is what it looks like to have your mind renewed and transformed out of the ways of the world and into God's will. This is part of his method for accomplishing the task in 12.1. It's just one more way in which we are to be sanctified. And then Paul cranks up the heat just a little more. And he goes to an illustration that is the universally disliked illustration throughout all the world in all history. He goes to the thing we hate about government the most. Taxes. Man. Look at his illustration in verses 6 and 7. He says, And for this reason you pay taxes since the authorities are God's servants. I mean, we're just not getting away from that, are we? Continually attending to these taxes. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. And honor to those you owe honor. You see, the government doesn't owe us anything. We owe the government. We owe our obligations. God is telling us we do. We owe tolls. We owe the taxes, the gas tax, the sales tax, the fees, all the stuff. We, I know no, who likes that. Nobody. God says you pay it. There were some Pharisees in Jesus' day. You always got to love when the Pharisees and Jesus have an encounter together. Because you're like, yeah, look at them. But most of the time, them is us. So some Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus. They come to him, they ask him this question. They say, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, it's not just that they didn't like paying taxes. Okay, we need to get that in our head. Caesar is Rome. Rome is an oppressive army. This oppressive army are not God's people. They've sacked God's people. They are demanding God's people. They are taking from God's people. They hold the holy city. You have Romans, Gentiles, in the Jewish city. Is it right for us to be giving our money to them so they can continue to oppress us? Isn't that sinful? That's really what they're asking. That's a serious question. Here's how Jesus answered. It's in Matthew 22, 19 through 21. He said, show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a denarius. He said, whose image of his inscription is this? He asked them this. They said, Caesar's he said to them, give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they were totally amazed. And by the way, they were still on the hook to pay taxes. Bummer. 
But Romans 13, 7 says we owe more than taxes, don't we? Is that not what it says? It says we owe respect and we owe honor. You thought giving a big portion of your salary every two weeks was painful. We owe respect and we owe honor. I think that might be the hardest point, isn't it? Even if there are times when we we need to not submit to the government authorities, and there are times, we'll talk about that in a minute, even in those times, we're not off the hook from paying respect and paying honor to the government authority that God raised up, the specific people that God raised up and put in positions of power. Because we respect God, we show respect to those God put in power. It's not because you respect the office. It's not because you respect the person. It's because you respect God. Anytime you don't show honor and respect to those who God put in power, you're telling God you don't honor and respect Him. Do you remember when Saul was king, but David was supposed to be the king? You remember that? And it's like this whole big drama. Saul's continually trying to kill David, throwing spears at him, trying to get him. It's, it's rough. Sending an army after him, putting a price on his head. Saul wants David dead. David spends his life on the run. But even when David had this really easy opportunity to kill Saul, he still trusted and respected God. He, so Saul wants to relieve himself. The army's marching David and his men are like, whoa, here comes Saul, and they run in this cave to hide. They're hiding, and then it just so happens, because God's got all this stuff rigged, right? It just so happens that Saul shows up, and he's like, man, I I need to relieve myself, so I'm going to go in that cave and do my business. He just so happens to go in a dark cave where all of David and his men are hiding. Epic mistake, right? So David crawls up and cuts the corner off of Saul's robe to make a point. I could have killed you. You didn't even know I was there. I mean, you were completely unavailable to fight. You were in the middle of something else. We could have taken you out. But do you remember what David said about this afterwards? He actually felt guilt and remorse for what he did. 1 Samuel 24, 5-7 says, Afterwards, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, I swear before the Lord I would never do such a thing to my Lord, meaning Saul, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David persuaded his men and he did not let them rise up against Saul. Do you hear that? That is respect and honor. Honor for God's. God chose to anoint this man. God can deal with it. This is the Lord's anointed. I'm going to trust the Lord. My job, David is saying, is to trust the Lord and honor God by showing honor to the Lord's anointed. The man trying to kill him. David obviously didn't like Saul. I think that's a given. I'm sure he disagreed with the way Saul was running the government, especially the part about killing David. (laughs) But David loved the Lord. And so he trusted the Lord to deal with Saul. And he knew the Lord was the one who put Saul in power, and he knew the Lord could be the one to remove Saul from power. So David showed honor and respect to his king, the earthly king, even the king who was trying to kill him, which in turn shows profound respect 
for God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So David indeed was a man after God's own heart. There's no doubt. Scripture tells us that, that Christians not only respect and honor our government, right, our, our you know, U.S. president and our governors and our mayors and the building inspectors and whatever. Okay? We, we, we respect the authorities appointed over us, but this doesn't limit our honor and respect just to those authorities. So we, we need to show respect and honor to the authorities that are not over us. The governor of California and the governor of Florida and the governor of Texas, their authorities put there by God. And what about the governments in other nations? God raised those governments up. What about the governments in other countries? What about the governments of other countries that we are at war with? We're supposed to show honor? Yes, that's what it says. I've been to war. I've fought against other nations. And I can tell you, I know of a lot of times then and even now when I need to ask the Lord for forgiveness because I did not honor Him by honoring other governments and leaders that He put up. I probably need to spend a great deal of time pleading that He would forgive me. This is tough stuff, I told you. There's nothing easy about this. But now, so we've seen the nominative, we've seen the normal, the various, this is what's supposed to happen. Okay? In the everyday life of God's word, we now know what a Christian should look like. We know how a Christian should act when it comes to how we relate to various governments. Okay? We get it. But indeed, we have to ask the question, is there ever a time? Is there ever a time when we don't submit to the government authorities that are appointed over us? Now we're all like, oh good, we got there. Whew, tell me all the time so I cannot submit to the government. That's not the attitude. <clears throat> That's not how we do this. Okay, the answer is yes, but we need to be especially careful in these moments. Very careful. This is not something that we can be flippant about. It's not flippant. And we can't be worldly about it, so don't join in with all your worldly buddies on whatever social media and go, yeah, this is not an issue about worldly stuff. This is serious. And when you actually have to go against this command from God, for whatever reason, you better be prepared for some serious consequences, possibly even to the point of death or even worse, severe torture of you or your family. That exists in the world. We may need to be prepared for that. But we have to remember, even when we're facing that, that it was God who put ungodly leaders in a position of power, and he did so for his purposes. Think about Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. <clears throat> in the book of Daniel, there's a lot of examples in the book of Daniel. First, Daniel was a kid who was kidnapped. He was kidnapped, <clears throat> excuse me, he was hauled off to serve as a slave to the king. They took all these young people, they were going to train them up, then they were going to serve the king, they were giving him food that was against the Jewish dietary laws. And Daniel said, I'm a man of, a kid really, of God, but I'm not going to eat that food. But he, he handled it very interestingly. I think there's a lot to learn here. Daniel went and he asked permission to eat a different food. He came with a, a solution. He even offered a test, a 10-day test. He said, let's try it this way for 10 days to the people who were overseeing him. And he was respectful about it. He wasn't demanding. He was respectful. 
And he said, let's see what happens. And then he said, then you do, to the, his captors, you do what's right based on what you see. He was fully prepared, fully prepared to face whatever consequences they may have been. And he did all of this respectfully with honor. Although he was basically kidnapped and they were oppressive government authorities over him. In Daniel chapter 3, Daniel's friends, same situation happened to them too. Well, they were ordered to bow down and worship a golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar the king. Music was going to play, they're supposed to bow down. They respectfully would not do it. They said, we don't bow down to a false idol. And because of that, they were thrown into a smelting fire to die. And they were prepared to face that consequence. And by the way, they weren't only prepared, they actually did face that consequence. They were thrown into a smelting fire. Although, in that particular case, God saved them for his purposes, to make a point. However, it's not going to go that way most of the time. Christian history shows us that the bulk of the faithful men and women, I would say over millions of faithful men and women, who have been oppressed in this way for taking a stand, have been martyred in this way, were not spared in this life for God. Later in the, the book, a new king comes to power, and they pass this ridiculous law uh, that says for 30 days people can only pray to King Darius. Now, I don't know how he's going to answer those prayers or hear those prayers. He's a sinful human being. It's the stupidest thing. But that's the law they passed trying to trap Daniel. For 30 days you can only pray to the king, the earthly king. Now, Daniel was a faithful man of God. He prayed three times a day. But in this moment, he did not change his behavior. He didn't change it to make a big stink. Ah, look at this, I'm going to throw it in your face. He didn't do that. But he also didn't change it to hide. He just kept faithfully doing what he was doing. But he was ready to face the consequences, and he knew what they would be. And this is the part that really gets me. King Darius was actually grieved. He was grieved when he had to throw... Daniel, who violated the law and wouldn't pray to King Darius into a lion's pit where he'd be devoured and eaten by lions, it grieved King Darius. Why? Because even though Daniel said, I cannot follow this law, he was respectful. He did it respectfully and he took his stand rightly. And again, in this particular circumstance, God spared Daniel. And then seeing what God did, King Darius was like, holy cow, I need to trust this guy. And then he commanded everybody else you need to worship the, the God that Daniel worships. That was all for God's purpose. Daniel didn't see beforehand that that was going to be for God's purpose. None of these people saw beforehand. Those in church history who've been martyred and died didn't see what the purpose of that was beforehand. Let us not forget that it was God who put the pharaohs in Egypt in power. Let us not forget that it was God who raised up Babylon. Let us not forget that it was God who raised up Rome. Why would God do this? John Calvin says this. There's a quote that's been wrongly attributed to him, but I found some things that would support the wrongly attributed quote. Here's a correctly attributed quote from Calvin's Institutes, Book 4, Section 25. John Calvin said, Those who rule for the public good are true examples and specimens of big benevolence, while those who domineer unjustly and tyrannically are raised up by him to punish the people for their iniquity. And then elsewhere, in his commentary on Romans 3.13, John Calvin also says, For since a wicked prince is the Lord's scourge to punish the sins of the people, let us remember that it happens through our fault that this excellent blessing of God is turned into a curse. Why do we have wicked governments? That's what he's saying. 
We've turned the blessing of good government into a curse because we need to be punished by God. And otherwise, you could, you could summarize Calvin's statement this way. When God wants to judge the people, he gives them wicked rulers. So here's the principle for when we, when we, when we should disobey this command for God because the government is doing something so egregious that we can't obey this. Here's the principle, and it's rare. And this is what would cause us to disobey one command for the sake of another. You only, you only don't submit to your government when you can point clearly to a command that shows that you'd be sinning against God. Is this a sin against the Ten Commandments? If I do this thing or I don't do this thing, whatever the government's, will I be sinning against the Ten Commandments? Will I be sinning against the clear, expressed commands of Christ? Or a clearly expressed imperative in the New Testament? When you have two commands at odds, clearly, then you don't submit to your government. Otherwise, if you don't submit to your government, you're violating the command of God here and you're in sin. That's tough, right? It just sort of exposes the sinfulness in us. It just brings this out. When Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel, their local authorities told them they could no longer preach the gospel. In response, they said this in Acts 4, 19-20, "...whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God you decide." For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard because they're not about to violate Jesus' commandment in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Luke 24, 44 through 49, John 20, 19 through 23, and Acts 1, 8. They had clear precedent from God that they could violate one command for the sake of the bigger commands. Now, they wouldn't have had a leg to stand on with that local government if there were a whole bunch of times in their life that we could look at when they just wouldn't preach the gospel for all sorts of various reasons that weren't being forced by the government. It couldn't be like, well, I never really preached the gospel. But now that the government's telling me I can't preach the gospel, yeah! Okay, that's, that's really hypocrisy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't have had much credibility if they wouldn't bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, but the weekend before at the club, at the party, they're bowing down to some other idol with no problem from the government. We've got to live faithfully, constantly, regularly, so it's no change of our actions when we reject an unbiblical, sinful thing the government might put on us. If we're going to submit to government authorities, or if we're not going to submit to government authorities, nothing should be changing in the way we live out our faith because we're being faithful. Paul used a really sensitive, uncomfortable illustration. I'm going to go a little bit long on this, but I think this is really important. He used a very uncomfortable illustration, so I think it's appropriate that I do too. And I'm going to tell you, I was really hesitant to even bring this up because I know this will make all of us triggered. We're all going to have some problems, myself included, but I I think it's appropriate we stand on the Word of God. When the COVID pandemic first hit, and our governor in Utah came forward and said businesses need to close, churches need to close for two weeks. I was faced with a really serious reality. It was easy for everybody else to watch what leaders did and then Monday morning quarterback them. It was real hard when we had to be the one to actually say, what are we going to do? So I turned to the Word of God. I spent a lot of time trying to sort that out. I had to ask myself, would we be sinning against God's instruction in Hebrews 10? 
24 through 25, it says, do not neglect gathering together. Right? Well, we'd be sinning against that command if we didn't meet for two weeks. Okay? And then it also has this other part of it. Could we still do this other part of it? It says, watch out for one another to provoke each other to love and good works. And then it also says, encourage one another. The idea is we gather together on the Lord's day to do this command. If we didn't do it for two weeks, would we be sinning? I found that if that were true, we would also be nailing Jesus to the cross every time we couldn't come to church because of a snow day or icy weather. I found if that were true, we'd also be nailing Jesus to the cross every time we didn't come to church because we had the flu. That'd be a sin. I found that if that were true, we would also be nailing Jesus to the cross. We'd be sinning anytime we went on vacation and we couldn't be here with the body. Okay, there's some areas that are clear. There's some areas that are less clear. Now, we do cross a line somewhere. We cross a line. And I had to ask myself, what is the line? One area of the line is certainly when our attitude is to just simply neglect. So I don't feel it today. That might be a sin. But the government wasn't pushing that on us. We push that on ourselves pretty well, don't we? Another area might be, I'm going to go there to find my rest. I'm going to go there to find my blessing. I'm just going to hang out over here, maybe the mountains, maybe the whatever. I'm going to do this, and that becomes a regular thing. Or another reason might be, we let this be a long and prolonged, drawn-out neglect of gathering with the saints. It goes by weeks, then it's month, then it's two months. Now we have a different issue. This was not what the government was pushing on us. The government wasn't doing that. Now... In Utah, we were very fortunate. We didn't come to any position where we felt like we'd cross the line into sin. And actually, during that two weeks and three weeks, man, we spent a ton of time actually doing the command better. We're calling each other. We're doing all this stuff to encourage each other, like better than we normally do. So I actually found in some ways, we learned a lot about how we could bless one another when things got crazy. And that was encouraging. Okay, and then we were really blessed that we could actually open the building back up. We could come with a bunch of parameters we had to meet. And some of you didn't like those parameters, and some of you were very vocal to let me know you did not like those parameters. But yes, we have to do things we don't like. Okay, but those things weren't sins. Okay, they did, we ha- it was uncomfortable. It was just uncomfortable, just like fire codes and the rules for how many disability parking stalls you have to have. We just, I mean, it's just, we don't always love it, but it wasn't sinful. Now, we were blessed in Utah to not have some of the difficulties that some of the other churches had in other places when their local governments and their local authorities were keeping churches closed but opening liquor stores, were allowing people to protest for other things but wouldn't allow them to gather to worship the Lord. Different story. And I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about what we went through. And that's how you have to weigh these things. Where is the sin? How do we do this? It's not always going to be comfortable submitting to our government. It's certainly not going to be comfortable in the times when we can't submit to our government because we're, fa- we're pitting one command against another with God. It's not always going to be comfortable. We're not always going to like it. We're just not. But Christians are called to respectfully submit to the government authorities that God has appointed over them so long as submitting doesn't cause us to sin against God in other ways. So we should give thanks. Here's, here's the application. Thank you for bearing with me. Here's the application. I have three. First, we should give thanks that we get to live in this place where we have some involvement and some recourse 
with our government. If we disagree with government decisions, there's things we can do. Praise the Lord for that. Not everybody lives in that blessing. Most of the people around the world don't live with that blessing. In our country, we can vote. We can respectfully contact our leaders. We can support political campaigns. We can protest. There's rules for how we do that correctly. We can petition the courts. We can run for office ourselves. We can have respectful disagreements. That's okay. It's okay. And the list goes on and on. There are many things we can do. A lot of Christians, a lot of our brothers and sisters don't have that blessing. So let us not forget that blessing. And let me encourage you, let's not waste that. Don't be flippant about the ways we get to engage in our government. Engage. We can have disagreements. Just do it respectfully. Number two, we need to be very mindful about how we talk about our government authorities. The things we say just expose the things that are in our heart, right? Especially during an election season, right? We need to be very mindful of Romans 13, 1 through 7, and how we respond and how we we talk about our government, because we're giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. We show the world that we are submitted and surrendered to the word of God. You can have disagreements, but you need to pay them with honor and respect and do them correctly and submit appropriately. So I just want to encourage that as we do that, I think we'll be a blessing to each other, but I think we'll also be a witness to the lost world, like John and Peter, like Daniel, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego right, and many, many others. So we need, to, we need to think about our attitude in light of Romans 13, 1 through 7, and, and honor God by obeying him in that, even how we speak. And then lastly, and this is the toughest one, submitting to the government may seem impossible. Some of you might think it's more impossible than others of us, but it might feel impossible. And if it doesn't feel impossible, it certainly doesn't feel very agreeable to our sinful souls, right? We struggle. We need to remember, very much so, that God raised up the Roman government and God raised up even the Roman centurions that nailed Jesus to the cross. And while they were doing that, Jesus pleaded with the Father to forgive them, for they did not know what they were doing, but what they were doing was for God's purposes, for our salvation, that he would be nailed to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, that he would be put in the grave where we should have been put in the grave, where the Roman centurions should have been put in the grave. God raised them up for that purpose. We need to be mindful of this. We need to remember this. And we need to remember that Jesus was raised from the grave to save his people. And if he saved you, if you call yourself a Christian, he's asking you to be a living sacrifice. That you would pick up your cross and carry it in just the same way, recognizing that God is sovereign over every government. And he's asking us to trust him by submitting to the governments that he has put over us just like Jesus did. This is what it looks like, Christian, to give yourself to God as a living sacrifice. This is the means by which you're being sanctified, that your mind would be renewed, so you don't look like the rest of the world that trashes and bashes their government every turn they can. That instead you're being sanctified to glorify the Lord as a witness to the world, an honor to God 
and a blessing to yourself because you're walking with him, walking in lockstep with Christ. Let us not forget that. Let us thank God for that. And if you're not a Christian, come talk with me afterwards because I'd like to talk with you more about that. So what about everybody else in the room? So please feel free to, to explore that more. Let us not forget what this text says and let's live it. Today, God is asking us to respectfully submit to the government authorities that God has appointed over us. Let's pray. Lord, it's a tough text you've put before us. I think all of us need to hear these tough texts, God, so I thank you for that. Now, Lord, will you please equip us to live the tough text? And I know, Lord, we're going to stumble and we're going to mouth off something or have some attitude here or there. Or we're going to, who knows? I don't, pulled over by the police officer and immediately want to fight with the cop. Lord, I'm asking that you would prevent us from doing that, that you would just shut our mouths, that we would be respectful to the leaders appointed over us because we know it's not about them, it's about you and God, that we are respecting you and showing you honor. And Lord, more importantly, just simply submitting to what you've asked us to do. Thank you that we live in this nation where we get to have some involvement, where the oppression is so much less severe than it is elsewhere. And Lord, there may be a time when that won't be the case. But Lord, today we just we want to celebrate that it, we do have that blessing. Lord, if it comes a point, at any point, when we have to stand against the local authority or the governing authority, nationally, federal, that you've appointed over us, that we would do it correctly, and that we would do it very carefully and that you would equip us and bless us, Lord. But it's, it's my prayer that we don't ever have to do that. In fact, Lord, I want to pray for our government that you would turn them to a more godly way of leading, a more benevolent leadership that would make it easier for us to submit to. But Lord, we know that's not even the point. If you make it harder for us to submit, we know you're sanctifying us and we know it's for our good. So Lord, I, just, I thank you, God, that you are sovereign in all this. Lord, just keep reminding us this, that we would walk well with you as a living sacrifice, that you would be renewing and transforming our minds to live for you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.